Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Interesting, wouldn't it? I need you to, yeah, put your hand up. If Actually, stand up if Mark taught you. Wow, look at these fine specimens. All right, thank you. Let's give a hand to Mark and Jordan. What would we do without stagehands? Who could the stagehands? Tell you what, yes. We'd be carrying our own water and chairs. That's what we'd be doing. All right. Um, we're going to be having a bit of a conversation with, with Mark tonight. Um, we don't have time to get into all the pleasantries. Um, if you want to know more about Mark, come and chat to him after the service. But I know so many people can vouch for not just his character, but just who he is as a Christian, um, who he is as a teacher, as a father. Um, it's been an an unreal journey um, going from being uh, Mark's student as a, in Year 12 bio, um, getting me through the HSC, um, right through to now being colleagues alongside him at Charlton. So um, thanks so much for coming out tonight. We're going to be having a conversation about his journey um, through um, Christianity, but also through, um, his, um, through his atheistic journey as well. Um, and I just wanted to preface by saying we're going to be talking about how to reach atheists, how to talk to atheists. Um, you might have heard a lot of eists, words for deists, theists. Um, we're going to be talking about them and using those terms. But atheists are not the enemy. They are people. And so when we have these conversations, please hear through some of the things we're going to be talking about because we are actually talking about talking to people, not talking to people inside of a box. So with that in mind, let's kick it off. Is that cool? Sweet. Okay. So Mark, um, what took you away from Christianity? Stumbling blocks, doubts, what was it? Um, I need to give you the back, back story. Um, I was born in Sydney, uh, son of a, a soldier, and um, my parents uh, split up when I was four. And uh, my mum, my sister and I moved to Belmont from South Australia to Belmont. Um, and then my mum actually had brain surgery. And so for a few years, she was not really capable. So we lived with my nan and pop in Belmont, in the police station street in Belmont. And um, she couldn't do much, so she couldn't work. And we moved to, to Windale and, uh, in, a, in a housing commission area. And um, this sort of gives you some background as to how I was, how I was feeling. And yeah. so... Windale's not the nicest place to live and uh, it was quite a dangerous place as a young you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old and uh, experienced lots, saw lots of awful, terrible things, experienced some awful things to me personally but saw so many people, um, yeah, just hurt and, uh, and hurt each other. Then moved from there to a place called, we used to call it Bograt City but Luscombe Way in Belmont North, again a commission area and saw again some, probably some worse things and um, to escape that sort of thing my mum was really really great she um, she encouraged me to study encouraged me to read she used to test me you know right from primary school all the way through and um, at one stage I guess you know I, I just really had a love for science probably from about the age of five or six um, and then and pop would give me dinosaur and I just loved it. I became a science nerd and loved it just loved it um, Got into university and, uh, yeah, just really loved learning about stuff, science gear, just enjoyed it. It was my bread and butter. Um, but prior to uni, I'd started to go to a youth group at Belmont Baptist Church and I had some, some buddies from Belmont, Belmont High School 
And uh, there were some pretty wild fellas, and two of them had become Christians. And I'm thinking, man, these guys are pretty wild. So I went along to youth group with them. I actually followed my sister who started going along and um, thought, oh, this is a bit flaky. It's Christian stuff, but I'll go along. And anyway, some of the guys there were really, really intelligent, had some great convos. And on the 4th of March, 1989, I was at a youth live concert and uh, with newsboys there, got saved at this particular concert. Now, I was four weeks into uni, um, into doing science and uh, biology mostly, geology, all the usual ologies, physics as well. And uh, yeah, it was, it was really, really awesome. Loved it, loved it, loved it. Obviously became a Christian, read my Bible stacks, loved learning about God. Um, but in my third year of uni, I had some arrogance to me. In my third year of uni, there was a lecturer called Terry Lovett. And he was a religious studies lecturer. And I'd seen this guy in, in action and I thought, oh, I actually want to... I'd love to, you know, I'd love to lead this guy to the Lord. In fact, it was real arrogance. And um, so I did this course primarily out of that to actually have good conversations in the course. The problem was, was that a lot of his questions that he posed to the class, I took, I didn't have answers for. Like, I seriously didn't have answers for. I thought I would, but I didn't. And uh, those questions became mine. Big things like, you know, how can you trust Scripture? Uh, the big thing was on, he, he fully you know, hammered, discrepancies in the Bible, saying, how can the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, be inspired by God if there are so many errors? And here they are, bang, 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 bang. It was like mountains of them. Um, and there were heaps of other things too that I just really struggled with in Scripture. And there was a science thing hanging over, the evolution creation stuff, you know, that I didn't even question, but it was huge. And so in my third year of uni, I got to a point where I didn't believe. I didn't believe that the Bible was inspired by God. Um, I didn't believe that, that anything that I'd believed prior to that in the last three years was true, or two and a half years was true. And so I got to a point where I completely lost my faith. Now, I'd actually been involved with youth groups, discipling kids, all sorts of things, had some really awesome good friends. And losing your faith in that sort of environment isn't very nice. It was quite a scary time. Um, I had some great, great friends who I loved, and I didn't want my doubts to become theirs. So I didn't tell anyone about it. The closest person in my life was my mum. And so mum was with me in the journey all the way through. My stepdad, mum and dad weren't married. They didn't get married until I was 25, mum and my stepdad. But he'd, be, he'd been an atheist, and he was coming along to church, and so I didn't want to wreck it for him either. So it was only mum that I told and gave her my doubts, and she was just a great ear. Man, I tell you, my mum is a dead set champion. She's such a choice lady. So, yeah, that was, that was a big journey. And it was, it was the scariest, one of the scariest times of my life because my foundation was just gone. It was like looking into an abyss, thinking, Struth, this is pretty darn scary. So that's, that's where it happened. And, um, yeah, so I spent a good... It was close to a year, actually, in that time going through and experiencing or coming out of it. So the deconstruction, but then the reconstruction as well of my faith. So, wow. how's that? So, like, Christianity at the time, your experience, it wasn't giving you the answers to the questions that were being posed to you when you were being tested? No, no. There, there was no one around at that time. This is 1989, 1990, that sort of... Sorry, 1991. 1990, 1991. And back then, the internet wasn't around. So there was no one to look, you know, no videos. You couldn't YouTube it and have a look at stuff or whatever, which is a real shame. So for me, 
I couldn't talk to anyone in the church because no one, I didn't think anyone had been through it. I, I had no idea that there were others that had been through it. Now, the cool thing about it was um, there were some awesome people and back around that time there was a guy called John Smith. John Smith was involved with the um, God Squad and he'd been to Newcastle to speak and uh, I found out that he'd written two good books. One was called On the Side of the Angels, the other one was called Advance Australia Where. And anyway, he was a bit of a thinker. He was an awesome thinker and I got a hold of his book called On the Side of the Angels and as I'm reading it, I thought, this is my life story. Seriously, what this guy's gone through and he's a Christian fella and a smart dude. If he can get through this, then maybe there's hope for me. I was just blown away that I wasn't alone. And then C.S. Lewis, Malcolm Muggeridge, all these amazing writers I discovered had gone through the same thing. Francis Schaeffer. Um, and so I, I just realised that there were real thinkers out there, men and women, that had thought through stuff, that had had the doubts, but had gotten through it. And, and also, you know, there were people actually, you know, local in the in Newcastle area that had been through it too that I found out about later. And they were really did cool. Did you find out, did, so what about the local church you were part of at the time? Was there anything they did wrong or anything they weren't able to do to support you through that? Oh, no. The local church were brilliant. As a matter of fact, this was the hard thing. This, was, this is what made it incredibly hard. Um, the, the fellas in my youth group, were, we were like that. They were just dead set gems. Um, they really, really lived out the gospel. The people in the church that I was at, man, the oldies were just, I loved them, eh? I absolutely loved the 70, 80-year-olds that just had so much wisdom. I'd go and hang out with one guy, an ex-pastor, and before this happened, and just loved them. Man, they did the best thing. They were just so loving. But they gave me such a great family experience that when I lost that, I pined for it, absolutely pined for it, because if there's no God, then there's no real purpose in life. And there's the whole relational, that tight love bond isn't really, you just don't get that as much. Um, and I guess I'll elaborate, elaborate on that later. So, so you've lost it. So, as, so you've transitioned now. You've come from this awesome church. You're looking into this abyss. You finally find yourself in the abyss. What are your beliefs as an atheist at that point? Okay. So pretty much atheists don't believe in God. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a strange thing. As a scientist and as an atheist, I think now I don't know that there are many true atheists. There's lots of agnostics, but an atheist must arrogantly say that they've experienced everything there is in the universe, use their five senses, and determine that there's no God, which means they must know everything, but they really don't. Um, and I, I look, it's good to hear people like um, Dawkins actually say that he's not an atheist. He's, a, he's an agnostic. I think true atheism is fairly, is a really, really bold position to be in. I was, but I didn't understand it at the time. Um, can you just give me the question again? Yeah, so what, was your, what were your views? What was your worldview right. as an atheist? Yeah, so pretty much you live, you reproduce fertile offspring, and you die. So as a biologist, um, life was about biology, purely biology. Um, kill an ant, kill a human, no real difference apart from genetic complexity. It was quite a scary place to be in. I think really the place that I went to as an atheist was really coloured by my experience as a kid and as a teenager. Um, I could go to the negative very, very quickly. Uh, I would have been a quite a scary atheist if it kept going on. I wouldn't have been the nice, 
you know, atheist. I would have been the Stalin-type atheist. Um, yeah, so, so the, the cool thing is, is that atheists believe that there's nothing. That's it. Nothing at all. And that when you die, there's nothing. Okay? Um, and, I mean, that's fairly obvious. But for me, there was just no purpose to life. No real purpose to life apart from those three things. Live, reproduce, fertile offspring and die. And uh, any, any good fun that you had was great. But there was no ultimate purpose apart from pretty much be nutrients for organisms. That was it. And there was no right or wrong, true right or wrong. You kind of determined what you wanted to be right or wrong yeah. or it was enforced on you by governments, armies, anyone in leadership that did that to you. But you didn't have to go, away, go along with that. You could rebel against that and have your own truth. So, yeah. Wow. So I guess ultimately the purpose of life as an atheist is the answer to that question is there is no purpose. That's as much of an answer as there is a purpose really that there just wasn't a purpose. Yeah, I, I had a few, I guess, a few options. I was thinking, oh, do I go to Nimbin and get stoned out of my brain for the rest of my life? Not think through the questions, the big heavy questions I had. Um, I rode motorbikes, love any, still do. Love anything with two wheels, love motorbikes. So I was thinking, okay, go and join an outlaw bike gang because then I can set my own rules. Um, and, and look, honestly, I was a cyclist prior to that and cyclists have to deal with pain. You pretty much ride in pain. You're constantly pushing yourself beyond your natural abilities normally. And so pain didn't really worry me. So if, for me, it wasn't going to be a big deal if, if I died some, in some bloody way being shot up. It just did not worry me. Because if there's no purpose in life, who cares the way you die, when you die? It was just so brutal, absolutely brutal. Um, and so it was a scary, scary place to be. Now... The other option for me was to live a normal life, but I just didn't have that in me. There was just too much anger from, I think, losing a father, not having a father there and seeing the brutality of where I lived, that for me it was easy to go to that point and not be the nice, everyday atheist that's sort of, you know, is your next-door neighbour that's peaceful. Uh, it would have been much the other way. Um, yeah, much, and my mum wouldn't have liked that, but it was just, yeah, there in me. And I think my father is an atheist, my real father, had that to him as well. And I think that's in their marriage, that's where my mum really struggled. Yeah. Wow. So you've, got, you've gotten to the point, you've come away from Christianity, you've fully dived into being an atheist and pursuing that. Yeah. What was the turning point then? Because obviously now you're, you're a Christian. Yeah. So what was the turning point? What was the, what was the aha moment? Or was there one or was it more of a gradual thing? There was lots of gradual stuff. Um, there was one aha moment, but yeah, I won't go into that. But there was lots of gradual things. I, I came across heaps, I did heaps of research. Um, my, my third year of uni, I don't know how I passed. I read lots and I read way beyond the course. So I did lots of reading of scientific journals and so on. I spent a lot of uh, time in molecular biology journals, genetics, journals on genetics, journals on uh, geology and all those sorts of things. And I, 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 having been indoctrinated in evolution theory, which is just part of you, mm. you live and breathe it, I didn't know that there were questions about it. You don't get taught that in your course at university. It's all part, part of the syllabus is to indoctrinate you. And it's, it's not awful, it's just what happens. And so um, when I was at school in year, year 12, I remember a girl, Kylie, didn't come to school for a month because we were doing evolution theory at the time. And I'm thinking, man, Kylie, get with the program. What's wrong with evolution? I thought it was great. But when I had this doubting time, I realised that evolution could be, could be, 
And for me it was. It was a real doubting thing. It really wrecked my faith. It was part of that. It was a foundation. But there were other things that did it. So I realised that evolution wasn't the watertight argument or watertight theory that I thought it was. So that put doubts in there. Biggest thing, though, was I had to look at the Old Testament, New Testament and see if it was inspired by God. And so all the doubts that I had that Terry Lovett, my lecturer, had fed and others had fed into, I had built. I read some good books and one really awesome book was by John Haley called Evidence... Sorry, it was called uh, Alleged Discrepancies of the Bible. I read that from cover to cover, studied it, and I just realised that the discrepancies that I was being fed at university weren't big problems. They weren't problems. They had good, solid answers, just that I hadn't come across them and my lecturer hadn't either. And then I discovered stuff on fulfilled prophecy and I was just blown away reading Josh McDowell's work and so many others at the time as well. I was just blown away that there were scholars, really solid scholars of history um, in academia that actually believed... Um, and because I thought that Christians were fruitcakes, I seriously thought that any Christians around were fruitcakes. It wasn't until I came through. Some it of them are, to be fair. <laughs> to be fair, they are. they are, and we all are at some time. <laughs> no one in this room, of course. <laughs> no. But can, 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 it was good. It was a good thought. So it's basically self-exploration. It was self-exploration that eventually was leading you back to Christ. Yeah, but I also wrote to John Smith. Because um, I'd been reading his book at the time, or his books, and uh, was blown away. Like he wrote back, and it's like, man, his his responses were so brilliant. Uh, I wrote to Labrie uh, in Switzerland and got responses back from them. Um, I mean, I had some. These were pages, and it took a long time to get them because it wasn't email; it was written, handwritten. And so the answers were amazing. But the thing is, they gave me lots of resources to look at. Even got some books. They sent me some books for free. Um, and so through that, yeah, and so it was just incredible. C.S. Lewis's works were brilliant to really get me thinking deeply about things that I, and answer some questions that I really had that were, that were awful at the yeah. time. Did you still have the atheistic face during that time? So when you're exploring things, if someone was to ask you what you believe, do you say, I'm kind of questioning it, or was it still just a flat out no, I'm like, this is my position? I was flat out no for six months. Um, I know the date when it happened. And then the last two or three months, man, I tell you, I would jump on my motorbike and I'd ride to Redhead. Um, I'd ride to whatever and I'd go there and say, God, if you are there, why did you make me a questioner? Why do I have to be a sceptic? Why can't I be like my mates Tony and Justin who accept stuff by faith? Why do I have to be the one to question? I could, yeah, I didn't want to do science. I wanted to go and deliver posts on a push bike, on a motorbike. Just wanted to do something that was brainless from the science perspective that wouldn't give me these questions all the time. Um, and so, not, nothing wrong with Posty. I'd still love to do that job sometimes. Um, and so the big thing was, um, I, I'm losing my train of thought. So the, so the Christians that were helping you to rediscover your Christianity, yep. um, they were the people that were also thinkers, the ones that were also, that had gone through that. Because I think we talked earlier and you were kind of, you thought you were on your own island. I'm the only one that's ever doubted or ever thought about these things. But there were some Christians in your life at the time that were part of that process coming back. There were. I just wish they were personal Christians. And I found out later, about a year later, that in Newcastle there were some men um, that I could, could have gotten in contact with um, that had been from Labrie and had been over in Switzerland, spent time there studying and actually come back here. Um, yeah, which was really, really cool. Nowadays, there are so many people you can watch on YouTube. Uh, I'm a big fan of a guy called Mike Winger. 
uh, who's, who has his own YouTube channel. There's a really cool YouTube thing called Unbelievable, which has a Christian host, and it, he hosts debates between atheists and Christians in so many different areas, and he is absolutely brilliant. Um, a thing called Cold Case Christianity, it's a um, brilliant site where a, uh, a detective looks at the evidence for the resurrection for so many things and, and brutally pulls apart things and shows you that it's true. It's quite amazing. So nowadays there are so many resources you can use and, and so many things you can look at. There's also so many things that you can look at that can actually affect your faith too, negatively as well. William Lane Craig is another one that I've always liked. He's a famous apologeticist. He's got some great stuff. Has anyone heard William Lane Craig before? Anyone looked him up? Yeah, he's great. He's got an awesome podcast. His whole ministry is called Reasonable Faith. And it's all about how uh, the fa Christian faith is a quite a rational belief. Um, and it's some of the stuff he comes up with is just absolutely incredible. Um, we're going to start wrapping up. Um, but how, how can teach us... How do we have those conversations with atheists? How do we um, have influence in those areas? And I don't like the word win someone, but how can we have influence into those people's lives and help them on the journey to what we believe is the truth and a true faith in, in God? Yeah, uh, look, one word, love. Um, think about, I guess, big picture. We're born into a war and... Um, Anyone that's not a believer is a casualty of war, atheists included. They just don't know it. And um, the biggest thing is to love them. Love, love, love. And I've talked to heaps and heaps and heaps and heaps of atheists, hundreds, um, online, uh, friends, people in my street, you know, all, all through in science. The biggest thing is, is to love them and not to criticise them. And I tell you what, you cop heaps of abuse. I cop so much personal stuff, particularly online, um, but not to repay evil with evil. Yeah. First Peter three tells us, Peter tells us, you know, not to repay evil with evil, but to repay evil with good. And uh, one of the songs tonight is just incredible. You know, we Jesus just in in our sin, in our crappy lives, He loves us while we were still sinners and enemies of God. He loved us and loves us. And, and with, with people in that thing, man, they're, they're hurting. They're really hurting. I don't know what's driving their atheism. Sometimes it's pain like I experienced. Sometimes it's doubt, just pure doubt because of science backgrounds or whatever it is. But big thing is, you know, the humans and, and they're after answers. Now, some people are really, really solid in their views and you won't sway them. My father, the night before he died, I spent 20 minutes before, uh, with him. And now he was brutally awful as an atheist. I hated that I was a Christian, absolutely hated it. Um, and um, only about four years ago he died and I was with him for 20 minutes the night before he died in the morning and I got to pray with him and talk to him and, and you know, share some stuff with him. He was hard right to the end and some are. Um, he cried while I was talking to him and I'd love to think that he softened but I don't know that he did, I'm not sure. I've seen atheists soften incredibly. And a lot of it's not the head knowledge stuff you share with them. It's you caring for them and loving them. And so that's the biggest thing. And, you know, showing them things that can actually help them. You know, giving them tools to be able to help them. Be it books is really, really good. But sometimes they don't want to read that. They, want, they just want to know that you care for them, know that you love them, know that you've got time for them is a big thing. But you can't win them all. And I guess it's the Lord that actually brings and, and turns yeah. people's hearts around. Yeah. yeah. So good, Mark. So good. 
love the, love just the, the authenticity of you talking about your journey. And we weren't able to go super deep into some of the stuff, but I'll tell you what, you shared a few times, I know a bit of Mark's story. His childhood was horrendous. Um, and his journey in love for people through whatever they believe is absolutely astounding. Uh, and I just love that the, the answer to that question, how do you connect with an atheist? Well, you love them. Um, and I, I've always liked the idea that the loudest, most influential voice in an atheist's head is their own. Yeah, yeah. And that you won't ever convince someone that doesn't want to change what, what their view currently is. Um, but love's the answer. Having that, having that conversation in front of them like that is the answer. Um, what's your life like now, comparatively? What's the... What's, what's that? I'll try not to cry with this. It's... Um, yeah, I've got three unreal kids. Anne and I have three unreal kids and uh, got an amazing wife and uh, I wouldn't have that. Um, I don't know, I seriously do not know if I'd be alive. Yeah. Um, be through my own causes or be through some activity that I did that got me involved with the police. I've got a good friend of mine who was an outlaw biker who's been shot and still has shells in him and I've talked to him about it and he said man I was either going to go to hospital or in a body bag he's an atheist you might know this fellow has a cross tattooed on his face you might have seen him around um I would have been in the same thing we've talked about it yeah just life would have sucked I came up with this analogy during and I think it's a scriptural thing my Christian life was like this awesome table set out with beautiful food friends I wanted family all that sort of gear the most amazing food, and I'd given up that, which was my Christian walk, my walk with the Lord, that had purpose, hope, everything. And I was underneath that table on the ground, and um, a bit of food had fallen off the table, and a dog, little dog had gotten the food, chewed it up, and a crumb of it, the food had fallen out of its mouth onto the floor. And I picked up the crumb, which was atheism, and so much wanted what I had at the table, but I couldn't get back there because I had these doubts and questions that were there all the time. I couldn't go and make, take a, brain, a brainless jump and go back to my Christian walk. But I wanted to, but I couldn't do it because I knew that it wouldn't hold for the rest of my life. And so I went through the hard road and it was so good. You know, it's awesome. During the time I wondered why I was going through it, I'd say, why am I not like Tony and Justin? Well, my wife went through the same sort of thing before we were married, before we were dating. And what I went through, I was able to help her go through her doubts and so on. So what I went through had a purpose and produced fruit, which is awesome. And I've been able to share that sort of stuff with my kids, with the kids that I teach, who I absolutely love teaching them. Um, yeah, so it's just, my life is so different. Um, even restoration with my dad. If I wasn't a Christian, I would have been super duper angry with my father the whole time. Um, but I've written, I'd, I'd written before he died countless letters to him, telling him I love him, you know, thanking him for who he was. That relationship would have been well, non-existent completely. Um, and my mum, I think it restored my mum's and my relationship. Um, and she became a Christian when I was 25. So after that experience, what I went through actually helped her. She saw the lack of purpose in my life. Um, yeah, she was worried, super worried. I think I put her through hell, or what felt like to her hell. Um, yeah, I think she was so stoked that I came through it in one piece and didn't actually hurt or do something like a Martin Bryan type thing. Because uh, it was, yeah, it was quite a, a scary, yucky experience.
So thanks so much for sharing about your doubts. And I think it's so important for Christians to know that it's okay to doubt. In fact, I'd be concerned if they're not doubting, if they're not asking those questions. Um, and so would you be able to pray over us as a church? There might be people in particular who are sitting here going, you know what, I've actually, right now I'm struggling with some of those doubts or, or I've got some friends that are struggling with those doubts and I really don't know how to deal with that. I would just love it for you to just pass on a little bit of that authority that you've, that you've, um, that you've had and pray over us in our doubts. That'd be awesome. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for how amazing you are, how awesome you are. You've given us a brain. You've given us a mind which is incredibly complex, one of the most complex things in the universe. And you've given us, yeah, you've given us a desire to want to find the truth and find out about our purpose in life. And Lord, I just ask that you help those people in the room that are really struggling with doubts, Lord. You, yeah, you love us, especially in those times, Lord, and you want us to be able to question you and to know the truth, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you give them wisdom, Lord. Give them people that they can talk to. Give them people that can have answers for their questions, Lord. But Lord, give them a real peace in those times where they're questioning, Lord. Lord, we can question you, Lord, and we can, we can question things about your word. And Lord, I just ask that you really lead them to people to give them answers. And Lord, especially, Lord, that you just yeah, restore relationships and just come close to them in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. A little quote here. Um, yeah, give him a clap. So good. So good. I just, a uh, couple of two things to very quickly finish on. Um, I loved how you talked about talking to people with doubts and when they come and talk to you. And, and, um, and I've always loved the idea that when you are in those conversations and you do have those opportunities, and I pray that you do have those opportunities where you're in those rooms with those people that are really questioning things, the end goal is not to convince them. The end goal is to create relationship and to understand them better. If that's our goal, we're going to win. And, and I, I love that you encouraged us in, into that. Um, maybe there's a couple of people in here or maybe there's um, people that are ready to take that next step. Can I just get everyone to close their eyes for just a moment? Um, going through doubts, going through the journey. Come. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.